By the way, I do want to mention that's when you know you're you're about to like we're about to record a snooty podcast when it starts with Roman history. That's when you're like, <laughs> okay, somebody didn't get all of this out at the cocktail party they were at. Um, the first Senate, all of it. Are we going to start at the beginning it. here? <laughs> oh, we're covering the entire breadth of Roman history. Oh God, we're actually we're actually covering um, land and property ownership in Roman history, uh, specifically uh, from the point of view of the Senate. So. The first hundred senators of Rome, when Rome was founded, um, they mostly sent uh, local families and tribal leaders. Uh, and some of the senators obviously would have been appointed by Rome's first king, Romulus. But it, it was kind of like, from my understanding of history, which is filtered through a, a fiction writer who who watches too much stuff, basically. Yeah, um, but you're, you're pretty. You're as far as just facts, though. Usually, you do your research and you dot you dot your eyes and cross your t's. Right. So, with that, I do and I try. And and with that said, Rome's first uh, senators were basically just like a collection of um family leaders tribal leaders bosses uh um people who are respected politically um people who would have a lot of sway and swagger and they basically were picked because they would um have a lot of stakes in what was going to happen to rome like they were they were picked almost like um mr smith goes to washington (laughs) we won't like not all these guys were heroes obviously they were powerful men with a lot of money so like they they got it in a time where it was like ancient Rome, so a lot of them got it through you know blood and treasure. Um, but they at least had a stake in the success of the state. They were starting basically a country that lasted until um, Augustus. Under under Augustus as Caesar, um, he made a new rule, which is if you were going to be a senator, you already had to be rich. Um, and I believe. Partly, like I, I, I read an online commenter, like a lot of this was thought to be corruption. And one online commenter was like, actually, Augustus was trying to keep corruption down. Uh, he kind of did the same math that Trump did, which is uh, Trump said, I don't need to be corrupt. I have my own money. Like, I, I, this is how you know I won't take bribes. I'm already a millionaire. Um, the thought behind having a senator uh, need to already be a landowner that makes a million sesterces a year is that you won't be easily bribed. You'll have somebody will have to exceed your money basically before you can be bribed. That kind of um, makes sense a little bit, right? Yeah, it does a little bit. And, and it also makes sense in that um, they would have a stake in what was going to happen because they had land. Like, you know, well, just, who's who's going to defend Rome harder? Just to give you some credibility on this whole Roman thing. You had an article that a writing that you did that was um nonfiction about Rome, right? About the gladiators. What was that? That went, I mean, went viral. It was a huge. Um, before the show uh, Commodus came out on Netflix, I had an article about how Emperor Commodus was way crazier than the movie Gladiator portrayed. And when the show Commodus came out on Netflix, um, the the article went absolutely bananas. Like it went viral. And I think Cracked had a mirror article uh, similar to it. So I, I have always been interested in like Roman history generally as sort of a template for politics. Um, that's how I interpret a lot of today's politics. And that's that's what we're talking about today is the idea that, you know, if a senator already has a ton of land and a ton of resources and a bunch of money, why are they still corruptible? The, the idea that, you know, they 
they wouldn't take a bribe because they have so much money. Is that true? Or, or if they have all this land, are they going to have Rome's interest at heart? Like if they, if they own, if a Senator owns, you know, 2% of Rome, are they going to defend it? Like, like would they vote for good policy? Would they vote for, yeah. you know, or good power and greed still win? Is that a never ending? <laughs> is that a bottomless pit? <laughs> right. Well, that's, that's what Rome found out <laughs> is, uh, like to keep their senators from basically doing what our senators do. Like um, we, we have so much corruption. We have, um, you know, our representatives will oftentimes not technically do insider trading, but they will have pre knowledge of something's going to happen. Like Nancy Pelosi divesting her interests right before COVID. That's the kind of stuff that Rome tried to prevent and the, their method of or, preventing it. Yeah. Or, yeah. Or, or congressmen, senators coming into office with a, you know, a, a net worth of a million but leaving with 50, 30 million, you know, you kind of scratch your head. Right. <laughs> when they haven't been working in the private sector, that uh, how how did they accumulate these riches? <laughs> right, right, right. Or like um like Ted Cruz, uh, um like I I remember an article coming out about how Ted Cruz had put the most money into a re or a campaign uh, um that any senator had ever done. Like it was just like an absurd amount of money from his own coffers. And it was like, yeah, but how did he get that? Like, <laughs> um, it doesn't, yeah. Having money already does not make you less corruptible. It means you did something to get that money in the first place. And unless you live in Atlas shrugged, unless you did something purely genuine, like, like you just had a great product or you just developed the right thing online, then you probably did something to get that money. Like, like it, you probably engaged in not something necessarily illegal, but certainly something that, you know, doesn't fit into good morals as far as like corporate standards of today. Um, and th th that's something Rome found out very, very quickly. The idea was that, um, you know, they couldn't they couldn't trade. They couldn't even be traders. They, they weren't allowed to engage in banking or um, take on any public work or own a merchant ship unless the other senators okayed it. And that was supposed to keep them on the straight and narrow politically. And what ended up happening is the other senators just okayed it all the time. Like they were just like, "Oh yeah, no, that guy, yeah, he he can go ahead and do some insider trading. He can trade with this other country before Rome absolutely sacks it and goes to war with it, or or whatever." He had a license to steal, right? But the the thing that really brought like, have you have you ever um, looked at the series, um, uh, the rise and fall of the Roman Empire? I have. I have, yeah, and I was, I was just going to say that you'd be the first person that I'd poison. You don't talk about ruthless uh, politicians and family and nepotism. I mean, you know, <laughs> you're not talking about anything goes. <laughs> but if we want to condense all of Roman history down to like one sentence, um, we're going to go with uh, a guy named Pliny the Elder. Um, Pliny the Elder saw what the senators were doing. He, he, he was writing the history of Rome, and he basically use the quote uh it's it's great estates ruined italy and the provinces and what he means by great estates he means land ownership by um politicians latifundia is a um a term that rome used when they started uh collecting so much land into senator hands that senators basically ended up being their own countries um you would have a senator like like similar to Jared Kushner 
Jared Kushner owns like what 9,000 residences, you would have a senator who would have like hundreds of acres and and have 9,000, you know, people toiling on his acres or or, or working on his land and and living on it. Um, And it it slowly fractured uh, Rome. Like that's that's exactly what happened is, you know, Pliny was saying that if wealthy politicians owned all the land, they wouldn't represent the people. They, they, why vote for what's going to help Rome if the next law you pass could help your small fiefdom? Like, like if you're, if you're passing, should we all pay taxes toward this, you know, giant Roman machine and let Caesar, you know, go to war with somebody? Or should I pass the law that says, let's keep the money in the hands of the senators right now? Or, or should I pass a law that helps literally just my little corner of the countryside and nobody else? And that's what the Senate ended up being is it was a lot of people defending their um, their small land ownerships and their their um, the the latifundia. The reason why all this is important is because um, they say, you know, like, what's what's the old phrase from Mark Twain? History doesn't repeat itself, but it sure rhymes a lot. <laughs> oh, I do like him. He's clever. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's some coincidences so there. Yeah, I, I want to lay out the rhyming of the history for for this because, like, we we are we are singing a tune, like like we are we are almost doing a a rhyme with Rome at this moment. Um, we all know that Rome thing doesn't end ha- doesn't end well. Let me remember, right? Right. <laughs> Even yeah. Rome didn't last forever. You can only be, become a world power for so long, and then it's yeah, you imp- you implode. Right. Those those landowners. The, the the vast landowners they decide that they actually don't need rome anymore like their their interests would be better served if they were their own little countries and and rome starts to fracture and it fractures into two and they fracture into several more pieces <laughs> and it it slowly just shrinks down and and you get italy and you get a bunch of other countries i mean like that was one of the tweets that you and i talked about when nancy pelosi was caught basically um s- similar to insider trading just pre-knowledge trading um, somebody brought up the question on Twitter. They're like, should we let politicians have any say in the market? Should we allow them to like have investments? Because um, so many of them do. Uh, um, there was a, uh, there's a, a joke uh, YouTube channel called um, real advertisements for governments or real government ads. And so they, they, they poke fun at government policies as if it is like a nineties infomercial and they're trying to sell it to you. And one of the things they talk about is they they are like, oh, you don't like the current housing policy? Well, you should because your senators and congresspeople do. And then they they outline that half of all congresspeople and senators for Australia, America and several other Democratic countries are landowners and they have investments in landowning companies. So um, real estate as a uh, investment uh, is becoming something that. Well, well, actually, let let's let's get a, a into that. Like, like, have you have you actually thought of investing in housing yourself? I have, and I've through the years I've I've owned at one point I owned three houses. The banks own them, which they reminded me as they foreclosed on them. But <laughs> I, I did have aspirations. I was a, I was a, a landlord for a good amount of years, probably seven or eight years. And okay. I, I I love real estate, and, and everyone I've known who has bought houses and held on to them, and held on to them. Has has become had been very comfortable in, in their older lives, I, and I don't know one exception to that. So it's something that I feel confident in. in. 
I, I feel the same way, but that's, I think that's also an older model of um, ownership or, or housing investment. So like the 1960s is when the government first um, enacted legislation to allow uh, uh, investors to generate income from real estate. And so this is what we, we think of when we think about like um, housing investment is you buy it a second home or you buy a third home. Like a lot of, like we know a lot of friends. I mean, I think that's what Chris Wilkes does. And it's just another investment. It, it goes to your portfolio. Um, you rent those out, uh, hopefully, to decent people that you vetted. Yeah, and forget about it. You rent them out, and for, you don't, you don't, you're not refinancing it every six months or trying to, you know. Right. Yeah. You you put some money aside so that, like, if something goes wrong, a pipe breaks, then you can fix it quickly because you have part of their rent set aside to do that. Um, and that got more popular in the 80s. Like, it, it was legalized in the 60s. So I, I used to think this wasn't a very old thing that that housing investment must have gone back to like, you know, the founding of America. But that's not really true. Housing as a portfolio investment, it was legislated in the 60s. In the 80s, it got um, it actually started landing on desks. Like if you're a Wall Street uh, uh, advisor in the 80s is when you would start telling people, hey, maybe you should buy a second or third home. Like it will help you into your retirement. You'll have a, a source of income. Um and then in 97, it gets popular. It, it continues to build popularity, I should say. That's when um, Rich Dad Poor Dad comes out. His 1997, uh, Robert Kiyosaki pats himself on the back for having the quote unquote original idea of investing in housing. Like that, that's, <laughs> if you read into that book, I know I shit on that book a lot, but if you really read into it, he talks about <laughs> looking for opportunities everywhere and changing the way your mind works so that you can keep an eye out for opportunities. But honestly, the opportunity that made him rich is the opportunity that's making everyone rich in that year. It's it isn't was, that just really good marketing, like that, just a good title. That, you yeah, know, it, it suggests, is. It's a suggestive title, and it's 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 kind of up there with those titles to me. Why men love bitches. It's just something you got to read, you know. I just uh, yeah, I want these hacks, <laughs> these life hacks, you know. It honestly, like the book, as much as I I make fun, it 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 did illustrate the idea that to be a very wealthy person you need to make your mind keenly aware and and almost like a net for um good ideas and like for seeing um advantages where other people don't see them can, um can i say just having a rich dad works too yeah yeah that's that's a huge <laughs> thing yeah uh, having somebody uh give you a million dollar uh investment <laughs> yeah, makes a huge difference yeah You're becoming a millionaire to get that first million <laughs> given to you it's wonderful <laughs> They say the first million is the hardest, but not if your father just loans it to you. It's way easier. Um, so after after the sort of like housing investment boom, we get into the 2008 housing crisis. Now, that crisis wasn't caused by investors. I really want to point that out. Like It seems like this timeline I'm leading up to, and that's how investors ruined America. Um, that housing crisis was made by banks who were, if you watch the big short, it accuses um, banks of tricking people into accepting loans that they couldn't afford. And then those houses eventually, you know, they can't pay them. Investors are investing in the mortgages and, and mortgage-backed securities. They're not investing in the house itself. And, and these mortgages, these faulty mortgages go bust. And so everyone goes bust. Um, I do think there was an element of people who had fixed loans who just didn't like the fact that their house had dropped $100,000 in value. They just couldn't right. live with that. They 
they had put so much weight in the fact that they had three hundred, four hundred thousand dollar equity and their house was going up fifty grand a month, that they were such savvy real estate investors, like we all felt in two thousand six, two thousand seven. You look at it a lot different when your house is going down thirty thousand dollars a month. Right. You feel like you're on a ship taking water, even though you're on a fixed and even if you would have ridden it out, you'd be way hard ahead because it bounced back. You feel like you have to you feel like you have to do something. Right. And, and something was run. <laughs> you you're dead on. And and so many people ran away from their investments. And um those families and those investors who ran away from dead houses and and i mean i remember watching the news and seeing like empty houses like just just a camera panning across a neighborhood like one of those cookie cutter neighborhoods that was just devoid like it looked like a ghost town Mm -hmm. and it was because so many families had gone bust and like couldn't pay their their bad mortgage that the bank had like you know almost promised them would be reasonable and they they just ran out so who do you think bought up all of these empty houses after the housing bust? I'm thinking some savvy, savvy investor, somebody who just saw something that wasn't. Who, who was it? That's right. It was the majority went to uh, real estate investment groups. And now we get into the crux of this episode, why it affects housing today. Um, those investment groups got started. They they what What happened before the 2008 crisis? People were investing in mortgages. And then the 2008 crisis made houses look bad, but these savvy investment groups came in and the idea is the best time to invest is, what's the old, the old phrase? The best time to invest is when there's blood in the streets. There was a lot of blood in the streets. And so they, they went around and they collected up these houses as if they were like the knocked off houses from a monopoly board that had been flipped. And that and makes they, total sense, Joe, because um, yeah. all major, you know, Microsoft was started during a, a recession. A lot of companies, and the reason is your money just goes so much further. So if you're well funded and everything's cheap, well, cash is king, right? So it's oh. it's time to strike when they when you're at a bottom that you can that, that you can clearly see. You don't have to even be a savvy investor to say these houses are in Dallas, Texas, and and um, Los Angeles and New York are going to go up. You know, <laughs> they're not going to go lower than this. <laughs> Right. And and you get a a, a house uh, with a bad mortgage. You, you pick one up for $80,000 and then you zoom forward to like, you know, people are starting to get money and people need houses and they're starting to rent. And, you know, we, we build up to 2020 and the housing market is slowly coming back and it's slowly coming back. And then COVID hits and it doesn't just come back. It's suddenly everybody is locked indoors during COVID in 2020 wishing they had a house uh, and they weren't just sort of staring at their wife or significant other in a tiny uh, apartment that they had been renting. And they're like, hey, wouldn't it be nice if we had an actual house to to live in and start a family instead of being locked up together? Everybody went stir crazy. Well, Joe, I have to ask you this too. Were these investment groups, did they really have their fingers on the pulse of the rental market as well? I I think that uh, between 2008 and 2020, I think it was fairly reasonable. I, I think it was they had their their finger on the pulse of rent was safer. Uh, again, 1980 is the recession that got everybody into investing in housing. 2008 was another recession, and, and that's what got people investing in in houses as a rental piece. Like like it's there's it, this is not a, a shocking thing. It's it's these investment groups are savvy, but also 
it is very predictable that humans, when we are pressed, will stop investing in the market and we'll start investing in houses and, and investing in things that have a absolutely guaranteed return income, like rent. People have to live. Yeah. It's something you can touch and see, right? It's, it's like gold, right? It's not. It's different kind of investment. It's something that you can really... I think it's easier for a less savvy person that, that invested in a company. <laughs> I, I think that is so dead on. You said something you can touch and see. I mean, literally in Rich Dad, Poor Dad, he talks about like he physically jogs to the houses he wants to buy or invest in and he looks them over like like it is literally something you can look and see. You can you can take a picture of it like you're you're supporting somebody starving in, in another third world country. You can you can look at a portfolio and be yeah. like, yes, I'll put money into that poor thing. And, and you then control you... you control the decisions, right? If we put a new roof, who we rent to, what credit score we'll rent to and. What will when you're investing in a company, you're hoping you're you're handing over that trust to, right. to these other people. <laughs> so during the COVID crisis, all these people are renting. Rent is going up because the the people who are you know like landlords, they don't have other jobs and they suddenly have a ton of expenses because of COVID. So rent goes up like just across the board across America. I'm not going to get into extreme specifics like county by county. The idea is that everyone suddenly started charging more for rent because they could basically get away with it. Like people were locked in with COVID. They can't go anywhere. So what are you, you going to not charge them extra money? Um, and that's that was the experience of it. I had a lot of friends who lost apartments and houses because the rent went literally as high as they legally could in a year. Oregon has a cap on um, how high you can raise rent in a year. Isn't it like 10% more or 5% more, something like that? Um, it's something like that, but yeah. And the, would the, don't even get me started on that because there's no – not that I'm for socializing anything, but they don't have any – it's not tied to improvements to the property either. I mean some of these places that you pay uh, mortgage-sized rent, over-mortgage-sized rent, are places that aren't even fit to live in. I mean they're, they're teetering on slumlord shit. Aha. Uh -huh. Okay. That is the thing. Um houses and rent across the board in America from 2020 to now has exceeded mortgage payments. We had a couple of years there where um, renters or, or we had a couple of years there where landlords were raising rent higher than what people would be paying monthly if they had just bought their own damn house. And that's what a lot of my friends tried to do. Um, I think during COVID, everyone tried to do the same trick. Everyone went out to buy a house all at the same time because everyone realized, hey, I should be paying in this into a mortgage like like one of the the absolute core rules of building your own personal wealth is own your own place because you get to keep the money in the end or you get to have an asset in the end whereas rent you, you or, get nothing and if you want to be depressed just do do the math on what you pay in rent in over a few years right <laughs> it really is god you know it, it, it and it breaks your heart a little bit do it over a decade or do it over 20 years it gets worse right so, so during this horrendous market instability, um, there's a lot of articles out and have been that talking about how like the richest 20% in the world, um, like what is it doubled or, or quadrupled their value during COVID or something like that. This is, this is how they did it. They, they did it through, um, uh, almost entirely through land and, um, rental investments and things like that. Um, I, I'm sure there was a lot of other purchasing and there's a lot of other industries that made off. I mean, like. Uh, we we do not have time to get into what pharmaceutical companies the wealth they accumulated from the government during that period, but 
the idea is if you are a casual uh, investor like myself or Todd, um, it looked smart to uh, own a house before this. And after this, it looked smart to start taking rent as much rent as you could from your renters. Um, that was just the financially intelligent thing to do. Um, that is why in quarter one of 2020, a median house would go for about 260000 By the next year, the median house went for 330000 um, meaning that in one year, they left the reach of people earning the median income. So you, you went from before COVID, you could financially afford a house if you live within a you know metro area, like a city area. And then after COVID, you couldn't like, like, I, I think people, am I exaggerating this? Cause I, when I talk to people about this, when I'm like, no, it's out of your reach. If you, you know, are rent burden, that's the phrase they use. I, th- I think what, it, it was such a twist because it really looked like we're headed for another 2008. So yeah. when I bought, I bought right in the middle of COVID, I bought a, a condo with my wife. And it was really like, this seemed really stupid. You know what I mean? Like, right. This is really dumb because these You're things are going to drop a hundred grand and we were just going to, and that's what I was thinking. I think we're going to lose a hundred grand and I'm going to be the biggest horse's ass, but it just didn't happen. And our, our final thing was if we don't do this, rent isn't free anyways. Yeah. And that was the, the finally closing. Like at least we can, lo- not, not that it's not free. At least we can lock this in. Right. Rent, it's just who knows. They're just charging so goddamn much for just so little. It's really uncomfortable where there's no parking and there's no space and it's noisy. All for three thousand dollars a month. So there's there are um there's a timeline there of doubt that I'm gonna walk through and you tell me how right this is. In twenty twenty, median housing prices were two hundred and sixty thousand. Everybody was trying to get their own house because of COVID. But we also all believed that the market would eventually come back down. Like the the, the belief was, let's not buy too high because this yeah. inflation can't last. It's a little crazy right now, but it's gonna it's gonna even itself out. Absolutely. By the the same time next year, it was three hundred thirty thousand. So like it went up almost a hundred thousand for the same median house. And that's when everyone was doing the same math you're doing. It's just like twenty twenty one. That it's that much more. It's like holy shit. I would be dumb to get a house now because the market has to come down. There literally can't be this many people who need houses for this long. Um, yeah. And and like I said, at this point in our narrative, uh, a house is out of reach of, for anybody who is rent burdened in the, the metro area of any city. Um, the, the self-help books we've mentioned, The Richest Man in Babylon, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, they also talk about socking away like 10% of your income. If you did that, making the median wage, it would take you more than 10 years for the down payment. And people aren't buying houses for, you know, the the recommended 30% down. People are buying houses for the full amount and, and going over the asking price. Um, fast forward to 2022. Anybody who bought a house when you did, Todd, is like, okay, it's got to crash. Like, like we're going to look dumb very soon. Didn't happen. And the reason why it didn't happen is because... Uh, well, the the two most common reasons were um, there aren't enough houses being built uh, that that during COVID there hadn't been enough construction going on, and so the supply um, and demand one on one, yeah, right? the supply wasn't there. Um, but there was a smaller story that almost didn't get reported on. Um, the n- news talked about investors 
that about 13% of all starter homes are being taken off the market by investment groups. Um, and that, you know, these investment groups, they're not you and I buying an extra house or a third house or whatever to rent it out and retire comfortably. These are investment groups where they will buy 20,000 houses in one metro area and they will, they have a board of investors. They're not even buying in the same state. They're buying usually from out of state. Um, and they will just lock down an entire city or metro area and make that basically a rental. Like, like they will turn a neighborhood into a rental neighborhood. Big investment companies like yours are being blamed for this huge increase in rents across the country. And you can set the rent any way you want, really. There's a lot more going on than just corporate landlords bidding up homes. It's a very competitive and difficult environment. Um, and it was only about 13%. That, that's what I heard is, uh, I firmly actually believe, here's my tinfoil hat theory, I think some of the uh, news media that didn't want to report this had investments in this. Like, I think it was a smart investment to make. Go, go, is Go over that number again. How many houses did you say? It was a lot. 13% of all starter homes uh, in that year, in, in 2022, yeah. were being taken off the market by investment groups that were outside investors from other states. Well, think about how that just sways price values, that kind of buying power. I mean, especially above above the retail price offer, and then you have that volume of money coming in. I mean, it just... It, oh, yeah. <laughs> I if, mean, it bumped everything up, right? How if, could it not? If one in 10 small starter families or retiring folks who were like, I want to get a, a rental property to help me retire or, you know, you're, you're one in 10, um, millennials or, you know, the generation below them who are like, it's time to start a family. If, if one in 10 did not get a house because, uh, an investment group came in and bought it all in cash, the full amount over the asking price, then, then that means that that's, that's, you know, that's a tremendous amount of people who have, the money and our paying citizens and are, are doing their taxes. Like the, these are honest people who are not going to get a house. These aren't just, the, the way you yeah. say it has such a Darth Vader feel about it. It's like this person <laughs> from out of state. I can just see this like Texan with this long, big Cadillac and a hat, you know, say, Hey kid, I'm gonna make you a deal. You know, well, what you <laughs> I thought you make it sound. <laughs> what you should be imagining is the same jackasses from 2008 who, um, overvalued oh. mortgages <laughs> and, <laughs> and crash the market because that's the same people it's the same in <laughs> there are no consequences they're rich again just doing it in a different way that is exactly right that is what i'm saying is is the same investment groups like like under different hats under different companies under different guises but it's all the same wall street game it's okay so that mortgage thing didn't work and we accidentally destroyed the market and got people you know we lost people's homes and those got snapped up by other investment groups yeah. now what if we try to invest in houses but this time, instead of the mortgages, we bought the houses outright and we just put the rent up at maximum. Yeah. Now um, that we've driven the value down in the dirt where we can afford it, now we're going to buy them and then jack the rents up. Right. <laughs> so last year I was watching CNN and one of their commentators was like, oh, 13% is nothing. 13% of starter homes being taken off the market. You know, that's insignificant. The big buyers are people. The people driving up the prices are millennials who are buying these starter homes and like, you know, they're they're starting families in them, those fucks. <laughs> and then and they're like, but it's it's an cuz it's an insignificant part of the market. The market will, you know, adjust to that, you know, supply and demand will happen. It won't be a big deal. Um Fast forward to the reason why you and I are doing this episode today. 
Um, I was looking through the numbers on that very particular thing. Um, nationwide, how many starter homes have investors bought up? Um, it is now up to 25%. So one quarter of all new houses and all starter homes are being bought up by um, outside investors. Um, now that sounds small still. Like it, it, if one in four new families could not get a home because investment groups are buying up whole neighborhoods. Um, they are targeting areas where like the, the housing is the most needed. So it's not that they're targeting, right? The demand, they're not going, they're not going evenly. They're going in areas where it's, yeah, that makes total sense. Right. It's, it's not like, you know, um, I'm fairly wealthy. I have five extra houses that I rent out. I don't need one of those. So I decide to sell it and I sell, you know, a, a three, bedroom uh um sprawling ranch uh, out here in texas and i sell it to one of these investors that is not what they're doing they are coming into a neighborhood that has been built for low-income folks and they are buying up you know uh, five thousand houses in atlanta twelve thousand houses in like columbus ohio twenty thousand houses in like um uh, uh the travis county in texas they're they're specifically targeting i'm, I'm gonna let's I'll, I'll read a couple of these out um, let's see, um, Columbus, Ohio, uh, there is a company called American homes for rent out in, they operate out of Las Vegas. They don't live in Columbus, Ohio. Um, and they buy up almost every starter home available in Columbus boundary and they purchase above asking price and they rent them at the maximum legal profit. Um, it's, they call it the, a pinch. It is pinching out anybody who might be a homeowner in that city someday, or, or anybody who would want to start a family there. Um, they're doing such a absolute pirate job of it. Like if this was just, they put it up for rent, rent was kind of high, but reasonable. And they, they bought, you know, 75% of the houses that were available, the, the starter homes that were available that would fly under the radar still like that, that, that would be last year when people were saying it's not significant enough to change the market. This is not that it is so bad in uh, Columbus, Ohio, they're passing new bills. Like, like the local uh, government has gotten involved and they are trying to pass a bill which would tax um, $15,000 a month per property uh, for uh, companies trying to turn their city into a damn rent factory. Um, in uh, Mecklenburg County in New York, um, investors bought up all the low-cost, low-end, or starter homes in the county, um, and they specifically targeted homes that were um, they knew the renters would have to be forced into renting back from them. If it, uh, let's say Todd, you live in um, Mecklenburg County in New York, you own a couple of homes, you decide to sell one of them because you need the extra money and you want to like upgrade for your retirement, or or if you just you know. Maybe you want to get like 10 more cats and you, you decide you need an extra bedroom for them. And then you go outside and you're like, oh, that was a good deal. I sold my home. Time to buy my new home. And then you look on Zillow or Redfin and you see that absolutely every single home in the city is owned by my investment group and you can't own one anymore. You have to rent. So like you want to you want to go to your new upgrade. You want to change houses to the, the the new hotness that you were planning on buying to fit all your cats in the room. And <laughs> your only choice is to rent from me. And I am now renting at double what rent used to be. Like I am <laughs> a, a single family starter home is now, you know, twelve hundred to two thousand a month. 
Why can't you say multiple wives? It might be sound more interested than multiple cats, which is the truth. <laughs> Todd is a old cat lady in a powerlifter's body. I don't <laughs> That's what I kind of got the attitude you were putting out. <laughs> that's that's not attitude. I'm, it's I'm, not untrue. I'm it's that on 100%. Paper. That's why that's why it hurts so much. It's so true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's that but that would be I would be like what I like I made a deal with the devil I go I'm part of the problem you know like hey this isn't fair right absolutely and that's that's what people are that is the reaction people are happen, uh, having um, there's a lot of uh, there was there are every week there are news stories talking about why houses aren't selling well one part of it is mortgages are high so nobody wants to sell and have to pay yeah, a higher you, mortgage when they leave yeah, their you, current house you're gonna get your payments gonna go up and you're gonna be in a smaller place you can't replace what you got you just can't right but on top of that if you live in one of these metro areas where um a rental investment company owns every property you can't you literally can't sell because if you stepped out your front door and you got rid of your house behind you you you, you give the keys to somebody else you got nowhere to go um you know, you know what scares me about this more than anything joe what's that is that this is such a good idea and such an easy idea and it's going to work that other companies are going to say, hey, you know, if they've got the pockets for it, hey, you know. Oh, oh, it's funny you say that because I got another story here. The, um, Texas always leads the way in um, unregulated shittiness. <laughs> Texas, uh, a, a company started here uh, called Housing Select. You're still um, claiming land out there, right? Kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> unfortunately. Um, yeah, Texas, uh, according to Texas Monthly, the, the, the online magazine, um, Texas led the way in having the most institutional buyers. It is now up to like 28% or 30% here. And, um, some of the major counties out here, like big counties, like, like Dallas County or Travis County where Austin is, um, let's see, Tarrant County, 52% are owned, uh, of starter homes are owned by, um, investors. Rockwell is 45, Midland is 44, Dallas is 43. Like there are counties out here where half of all of the starter homes that would otherwise go to a family or, um, you know, an old lady trying to retire and get a, a source of income, they're being bought up by these investment groups who are becoming rent fleecers. They jack the rent up all the way and then they, they make it to where you have to rent from them to even live in the city. Um, and I, I, I kind of, <laughs> it's hard to look at this from a pro-capitalist position. Like I, I believe in capitalism and the idea that, um, you know, people have, one of my friends asked me, is it really that bad uh, turning all these families into renters? Because eventually they'll find a way out. Like the idea is they'll be, they'll rent for a couple extra years or something. And then they'll go, you know, they'll, they'll find a solution. They'll buy a house, a house elsewhere or they'll build or something. But if you believe in capitalism or the middle class, like I do, this is the absolute worst possible outcome. It's not about slowing somebody down on their way to investing in their future or having a family or starting a life. You're making people not want to invest back in your society. Like if you don't have a piece or ownership of your neighborhood, what is the point? Like, like why run for local government? Why participate in taxes? Why, why do anything? Well, let me yeah, let me add to that, Joe. Too, um, a lot of people they're going to have the the old, you know, 
the retiree attitude. Well, nobody gave me anything. The old pound on the chest. That's why these kids have to save their money. But I really like you to sit down and take a college educated, you know, income. College educated now. Uh, make a, make it a couple, and then figure out the math on what they could afford to buy. Um, and it's pretty scary. And then what the payment would be, and what their life would be like for years to come. To right. Just to pay the mortgage. Right. That that is a really good point. If you, I respect the hell out of everybody who I know who is um, a little bit older and who did work their way through college and who really did work their way through a house and mortgage. Um, but some it was of so the, much more affordable then. Both of those things you just talked about, it, right? It you know comparably, if you were to take dollar per dollar, and I, I I get the sense oftentimes when I talk about um, the impossibility of home ownership now, that um, my older friends think that what I mean is difficulty. That that when I say that it's impossible, they think no. I'm saying that is no. it's tough, it's tough. No, it's and that they had it tough, and that they worked for twenty years or twenty five years uh, at a labor job to pay off their house. And they did. And that is something that is extraordinarily impressive. Like, I honestly can't imagine how some people have held down jobs and mortgages and families as long as they have. It is crazy. But what people who are trying to get into uh, starter family homes now are facing is the amount that is being asked of them to pony up up front is pretty much the full amount. Uh, uh, it is an amount that they cannot physically make. If, if there's no saving they could do it. Like it's not that they they put aside, yeah. they put aside ten percent a year and they could they could get it in like 10, 20 years. They literally would have to save all of the money after expenses, rent, food, and healthcare. They would have to save everything they had for forty ish years before they could afford a starter home. And they wouldn't even be getting um there there there'd be no trading up. It would just be the cost of the initial starter home. Um, possibly it, not even over asking yeah. price, possibly not even all the other stuff we right. talked about is necessary to, to, to beat the investor groups. And then the clock starts on the 30 year mortgage. So, it, <laughs> right. So it's literally, it's literally the, the only house they'll ever be able to buy. And it's not a dream home. It's just a roof. It's just, it's just one step nicer than the apartment, you know? Right. I, I went a very, very unconventional path. Um, uh, what, what I've done is I, from my last job, I purchased several travel trailers that were being uh, used and kitted out as homes in Texas uh, by people who were of lower means. And they ended up selling them. We picked them up and we have been converting them to like um, basically like Airbnb style tiny rentals because it's tiny homes. Yeah. Yeah. But but specifically for Airbnb, we don't want to fleece people of rent in a trailer. That would be monstrous. We are we are doing it as um, Airbnb. Um, because people like the, that shit, they like to live in vans and stuff, Joe. Especially people with a lot of with a lot of money. <laughs> I don't oh, get it either. <laughs> absolutely. Like, if, if would you rather rent a single room from an Airbnb or where it's like you have to walk through a living room where people actually live there to get to the room to, to well, stay the night for ninety bucks, or do you stay in somebody's trailer where it's off, you know, off the grid? It's isolated. You can stay in it for the same amount, and it's you know, well, it's just let's you. Talk about, let's talk about re rental uncomfort, discomfort too. That a lot of home, I'll, probably ninety hundred percent of the people listening to this show own homes, right? And are are, are well, you know, they're educated, they're well to do for the most part. Um, we've been situations, and they probably did when they were younger too, where you had these multiple roommate places that we lived, 
where there was discomfort and stress for a long time, you know? Right. Even with good roommates can be hard to live with, but bad ones can be impossible to live with. But that's a real life stress. So you you're not comfortable or restful when you get home because you're at a you have a civil war going on in your tiny place with right. other personalities. I'm going to quote uh, Investopedia had a really good way to say this. They said that ownership of land and home is the basis of all investment opportunities we see today. And I agree with that so hard, like like without a stable home life. Like you're talking about, if if you're not stacked together like cordwood with a bunch of other roommates, which is how most people afford rent in the city these days, if if you don't have stability, then you can't participate in local trade or commerce. You can't participate in politics. You can't participate in like investment. Like, could you in your you've started small businesses and, and I almost kind of in a weird way I have too. could you do that without stability of you know, no. uh, of where you live, like no, no. And then the place I lived before I lived here was an apartment, and it wasn't uncommon. It was a good apartment, a nice area. You've been there, Joe. It was okay. Yeah. It wasn't, a, you know. It's a, it's a, but every once in a while, there'll be someone screaming or a gunshot or, you know, domestic violence or your car gets smashed, and that's just life as it is. You know, that's just the way it is. Right, and, and that's, that's not comfortable, and you're always a little bit tired because of the noise. You know, so when you get in the house, you get stable. Oh my goodness, the show has taken off. My career has taken off. My business has taken off. Everything's gone well when you have a stable. And we see this with children when they're they're not moving from house to house or from grandparent to to auntie. When you're stable and you're safe and you're protected, it, it, it the trajectory for your life is a lot better. Right, and and suddenly you become an advocate and a speaker for your own community. It's no wonder that like local activism, um, neighborhood associations too, or building associations. All of those stem from people who own. All of those are started and like they, they start and end with somebody has a stake in this little piece of land and they love being here and they want to participate in how it develops and who comes and goes and, and how things work out. You don't get that with renters. If, if half the people in a county are renters and they hate it because you're charging them all of their income, you don't get a stable Rome where the Senate wants to like vote for the best things for, for what happens to the empire. What you end up getting is what we're having now, which is people now are becoming more transitory. Um, we're having people roam around and get work wherever they can. And they're putting money back in places where they think it'll actually return them some value. I was not planning to do an episode about this. We started looking at houses elsewhere. Like we were like, okay, if we're going to rent out, these Airbnbs in Texas. What if we went to Canada? Like, 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 what if we didn't go there? But what if our main house was in like, uh, we looked at Niagara Falls and you can buy a starter home for about 90,000 and you can buy a, a very large, very nice home for the same price as a median home here in Texas or, or just really in America at this point. We started you looking guys, into you guys, you guys are all over the place. I mean, you, what's going on in you and Rachel's brain is scaring the shit out of me right now. <laughs> well, what about Belize, right? You guys are all over. <laughs> I thought we were crazy. Like, like I was like, you know, what a bunch of backstabbers to the American economy. We are looking to go elsewhere. No, but, you're looking for a better life. Yeah. yeah. But that's, that's it is like, what if we took money out of this economy here in Texas and put it to a place where we could retire comfortably someday. I, I think that's the, the the dream. Like retire to Costa Rica on ten dollars a day. I think Americans we like that thought, right? That thought of that paradise, that, right? That we can the paradise that we can afford. 
but it's it's not just going to a paradise. I mean, like I, I'm 100 with you on that. But it's it's not just a, a paradise we can afford. It's a house that we could own on a piece of land that isn't going to be you know spoken for by an investment group already. Mm-hmm. And and unfortunately, like it's it's a realistic plan. It would work. Um, but it would mean that we're not paying into the American system. We're not, <laughs> if we're, if we're improving a land and living somewhere else and we're just taking money from a, a rental Airbnb here, then we're not paying it back to the community that we started in. Um, and that's not just us. Uh, there was a, a survey that came out from Coldwell bank. A, a lot of their loans are, are real estate based. They had a survey that they looked internally for and they found out that 92% of the high net worth Americans that they dealt with were looking to get real estate outside the U S. <laughs> so I thought I was crazy. Cause I'm like, what if we just bought a house elsewhere and said, screw this system. And, and we just, you know, we got our money here, but took it elsewhere. 92% of Americans who are in the upper brackets are looking at doing the same thing. So I don't feel like an absolute crazy person, but that does make me think back to Rome. The reason, <laughs> the reason I started thinking in this direction was, well, shit, that's what the senators did. Like, like if you are a Roman senator, you pass legislation and you, you, you know, you do things on paper that are the best for your small fiefdom, like your little kingdom that you're building. But in the end, you're not doing it for Rome because the place that I'm at has betrayed me effectively. I think that's what everyone's feeling right now, right? especially in the housing market, everyone's just feeling betrayal. And I realized that I was doing the same math as like, I I was, I was rhyming with history. Like I was, I was doing the same math that they did where it's like, you know, why, why participate here? If you can't be a, well, in, in Rome, they called it a free peasant. That was somebody who owned their own land and they, they were the backbone of politics and, and the legion. So I was like, well, if we don't allow people to do that here anymore, then, then why not look elsewhere? One of my favorite stories um, about social class is from a Senator John McCain out of Arizona. And, and I'm a big fan of his. You know, I, I'm not read by any stretch, but I like him. I read we were going to do a show about him. Well, we haven't done yet about his his time when he was a prisoner of war, but very inspiring life that he's had. But in 2008, he got asked by a reporter how many homes he owned. And Joe, he couldn't have had less of a clue. He had no idea. It's almost like you were asking him what he had for lunch in 1983. Yeah. He didn't have a goddamn clue. <laughs> and doesn't that tell you when you're so rich, you don't even have a clue how many houses you own? <laughs> You've lost count. <laughs> um, I, I, I usually like to end the episodes on a, a snappy uh, saying or phrase. I'm just going to say that we're going to drop so many uh, links and sources into this episode because I really don't want people to think I'm leading them astray. Um, we have a couple of articles. Uh, one is by an economist from 1916, Vladimir uh, Um He's the one that first started talking about Pliny's um, comments and theories that um, landowning senators are what ruined the empire. Um, we're going to have articles to Investopedia, we're going to have articles to all of those counties I mentioned where they were bought up by investment groups and you effectively can't live there unless you are willing to pay $2,000 in rent. Um, yeah, we're, we're going to we're going to have links to absolutely everything because uh, I think this is a very important. I, I mean, like 
the importance of this issue cannot be overstated. The only thing bigger than this, in my opinion, is um, climate uh, warming. And I live in Texas now. I know that's real. <laughs> and I think there's a lot of awareness out there. Since we did our first housing episode, and we'll put a link to that, one of my favorite episodes about there's certain places where they're banning renting. So, the, um, but every time I bring up to people nowadays that in this country and not too, I mean, right now we're almost in that in certain markets. We are in certain markets that you're going to need generational money to even ever buy your own house. And a lot of people, I brought that up to probably a hundred people on the street. Everyone agrees with me. I haven't had one person push back. Yeah. I, you're dead on. And you are actually the first person who mentioned that. I, I used to think of this as, oh, the bar's just getting so high that it can't be cleared. You are the one that brought up the phrase generational money is how you get a house. And I, I, and, and connections, you're going to have to buy from your aunt or your uncle or, you know, and they're going to do it to you for some tax reason and part of your inheritance. And, and then yeah. you're going to forget that you were one of those that, <laughs> and you'll quickly forget and say, Hey, those people should save their money. You know? <laughs> right. Yeah. I, I will become one of the olds. I will, I will be like, well, I worked my way through uh, school and housing. So why can't they? <laughs> I get to see you smoking a cigar out by Niagara Falls. That's how you think, you know, that writer, your hair, your hair kind of messed up. You know what I mean? I think you have, I think you have this all figured out. You're right. a few, you're playing chess and the rest of us are playing checkers here, Joe. That's the, that's the trick is, is whatever you do in life. Like I will tell people I'm a writer, which is true. Honestly, the money will come from housing and estate, And that's, that's everybody. If a Senator says he's a Senator, it's not true. He's a home investor first and he's a Senator after. You've been listening to The Reengineered You. Thank you so much for listening to the show. You mean the world to us. We have a new episode every week. You can connect with us at www.re-engineeredyou.com. That's where we have research links, show notes, feedback, and blog articles for each of our episodes. We're not experts in anything, but we've got an opinion on everything.